Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this journey through space and time, marketing in multiple dimensions. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help you maximize your marketing automation and CRM. Ba bam, CheshireImpact.com. And our guest today, our star today, is the legendary Michael Brenner. And why is he legendary, Casey? Let me tell you why. Best-selling author, book called The Content Formula, we'll talk about. Uh, keynote speaker, so if you're too busy to go to an event, now you're listening to one right now. Um, recently at the Content Marketing Institute, great videos on that. Uh, also the CEO of Marketing Insider Group, Content Marketing Strategy, we'll talk more about that. And last on the list, but certainly not last in importance, family man and self-proclaimed uber dad, <laughs> Michael Brenner. How are you, sir? I'm great, Casey. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. I hope I didn't miss anything in that introduction. You covered, you covered enough, man. Did that I get awesome. it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, you know, we were t chatting earlier, and I just wanted to remind everyone, we have a little structure. We have some themes. Each month, we talk about a different step in the roadmap and we do a lot of work with people with marketing automation and one of the things we want to avoid is people just blasting or spraying people with emails or content or doing the, the next best feature they got to do it in the right order they don't want to miss some steps and so in january we talked about knowing your buyer february we talked about setting up some reporting so you can start to get some first touch roi or just some some understanding of what's working and now we're really shifting to it's time to start doing content marketing the idea of gating content or not gating it, really starting to provide some value. And so your name comes up on the list, you're top on there. And we just wanted to have you on here and, and helping people out with this because, you know, there's people out there right now, they're just blasting out emails to people and we want to free them from the matrix. So on that note, do you want to start out with smash any myths, any bogus strategies out there around content marketing? I mean, I, there's so many, uh, but, um, <laughs> and I love this question because it, um, you know, somebody once asked me like, what, what do you, you know, how do you think about, you know, what kind of content to create? And I always okay. you know, tell people, I start with the things that make me really angry. Like, you know, the things I want to rant on. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and so this question, myth busting is, is a kind of a great way to kind of slide into some, some rants. Uh, so the first one I will cover is the difference between content and content marketing and you know, there's even, there's a bunch of, of folks that, that kind of really geek out about, you know, this difference between content strategy and content marketing strategy. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a difference this, there. Well, there's a, there's a long history and, and, you know, but I don't want to get too deep into this one. Right. Uh, I didn't, I didn't want to wade into this one. Uh, but <laughs> I, I want to cover content versus content marketing, but, but there is a long history of content strategists. These are people who, um, you know, who've done great work over many years. They kind of emerged out of the the really the migration to the web that happened in the you know in the late nineties and the sure. early two thousands and and you know they came up with this term content strategy to essentially define how a brand thinks about the content they represent largely on their website. And and so you know some of these people came out of of disciplines like library science and and you know you know there's there's uh you know nomenclatures and and um data taxonomies and and all this kind of stuff and then content marketing came Dang. along and, and these <laughs> folks are like wait a second no we're the we're the content strategists content marketing people can't be the content marketing can't do content strategy so anyway there's a whole debate happening um you know in some very nerdy corners of the world 
on yeah. that question. I was just However, it's like another level of nerd for the content it is, community. It is a total, it's like the seventh <laughs> layer of nerddom. I think, you know, it's like it, there's, you know, you got to keep going down into, yeah. into the nerd universe, but, but there is a big difference. And, and, and this I think is important because a lot of times people say, well, you know, Hey, I'd really love to, you know, create a viral video. Um, and I'm like, okay, first of all, you can't, and you know, <laughs> at least not once, you know, maybe if you, you know, try something 99 times, you might stumble upon a real successful winner. But the difference between content and content marketing is it's, it's really, it's a destination. It's a platform and a commitment. So, you know, we, we mm -hmm. often say it's brands acting like publishers or, um, you know, thinking about content marketing like a publisher would, where you don't just create a thing, you create something regularly, you commit to creating it on a schedule, you commit to creating the best that you can with the resources you have, um, you define very closely what topic or subject matter you, you think you have expertise in, you have a real, you know, relevance to be able to talk about. So the difference between content, you know, an ebook is a piece of content. Um, sure. A, a, you know, a, a single video is a, is a piece of content. Your podcast is actually content marketing because you're making, yeah, man, way to go. You're That's making, <laughs> but you're, you're making a consistent commitment to delivering a quality, you know, show in this case. Totally to your audience. And so that, that's one of my first myths is, right. you know, a, a piece of content is not content marketing. And you'd okay. be surprised yeah. at how many people don't really understand that. And the reason it's important, you know, getting into content marketing ROI is a piece of content almost rarely has any ROI, but a platform can, and you can measure it, right? So my blog, for example, has a consistent amount of traffic. Sure. Um, that traffic delivers, you know, my goal is to always to try to generate subscribers, talk about marketing automation. Um, I then use marketing automation to nurture those subscribers right. to something that I can value, a lead, a workshop registrant, a, an ebook download, uh, right. or a client. And, and so, you know, that's really the path. So having a platform is really important. It's an important distinction. Um, so that's just one myth. I got a bunch. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. how many more you want I to get I love this. Into? No, we're going to smash them all day. We've got gigabytes <laughs> of storage on this laptop. So nice, nice. it's a destination. It's a platform. It's a commitment. That's, that's really cool. Uh, and it's, it's the, the individual parts, not as much as the whole. That's right. Excellent. All right. What else is out there? Let's right, smash is, some stuff. No whole card. You can yeah, man, bear, I'm, I'm, no I'm bringing it today. I'm Let's bringing it. it. So, so this is similar, but, but it's a slightly different take. And, and, you know, it comes from the sort of the gurus who emerged because they got onto Twitter early. You know, it's, nice. it's the, um, the difference between social media and content marketing. So, so your Facebook page is not content marketing. Tweets that you send out are not content marketing. Interesting. Um, and the reason, and it's again, back to, you know, your podcast is content marketing. When you tweet out that you have a new show, that's a tweet. That's social media. <laughs> yeah, that's social. Right? So, you know, and, and there is one di distinction I will make. Um, there are audiences that aren't willing to, uh, you know, sort of interact with a brand um, that often. And, and typically you might find like, you know, maybe um, uh, in the high fashion world or maybe in fragrances or something, yeah. folks that, that, you know, that really do commit to sort of being on Instagram or Pinterest or, or um, you know, one of those kind of really visual platforms. There are some really deep consumer sort of, you know, really superficial, I would say, consumer brands right. um, where, you know, it might make sense for them to really commit a lot of resources to engaging on those social platforms. That's still not content marketing. That's just a way to market. It's not content marketing. Content marketing is a platform that you own. You don't own your Facebook page. You think you do, mm. but Facebook owns it. So yes, they do. And right. They, they decide, 
to reach that's right. everybody. That's right. Organic, yeah. They say organic reach is dead, right? So, yeah. um, you know, they decide with their algorithms who sees the content that you publish. It used to be you publish it, you know, something on Facebook and everybody that follows you sees it. Well, now it's it's actually lower. Um, the, the, the actual number of people that see a piece of content you post is lower than the click-through rate on banners. And so really? on, a, on a digital display banner ad on a website. banners so, usually suck. I mean, that's... Usually the it. dregs of the internet, you, but you're you saying you said it, not me. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I sometimes have said that, but I'm glad. I'm here for you. <laughs> so yeah, so social media is not, and, and it's, again, I'm not saying that um, a piece of content is a bad thing. A piece of pieces of content, you know, should be part of a content marketing strategy. Sure. I'm definitely not saying social media is a bad thing. I use it every single day, multiple times a day, but right. I look at it as a distribution platform from the content I publish on my content marketing platform. And why? Because of the value content has, has the value, the tweets, there's not really any value to it. Typically you're, maybe you're pointing at value, but you're not. Actually- I mean, it, it really just, for me, it just comes down to, to what it delivers. And to me, it delivers, you know, uh, 20% of my traffic, I think, which is, which is better than most. Right. Um, but you know, for many sites, I think the average is 5% of, of, a, of, of websites around the world. Um, traffic is coming from social. Um, you know, if you can get above 10, if you can get into double digits, that's great. Um, you know, I get, I think 60% of my traffic comes from organic search. That's, you know, why I spent a lot of time focused on SEO. Um, I get about 15% of my traffic from email and, and, um, 20% from, from the social. So, you know, it's, it is important, but only in so far as it delivers traffic for me, that traffic that I can then convert to a subscriber who I then can convert to a lead or a sale, you know, client or whatever. So, so yeah, so those are really important things. The, the, the final one that I'll sort of rant on if we have time. Preach. Is, um, <laughs> and and you know this this uh, um, this word these this term hasn't been used as much in the last year or two. But um, but native advertising mm, is not native. content marketing. And and it's pretty you know it's like I, I once I was speaking at the Content Marketing Institute actually three yeah. years two years ago, and I said native advertising is not content marketing. And I had this guy stand up and start arguing with me. In front of 399 other people, it was like a 400 person, you know. In the middle of, of your presentation? In the middle of my presentation. And, <laughs> and after I, I tried to shut him down, the audience actually sort of shut him down and told him to leave. Sounds like a political campaign. Like, well, he was, you know, he on? was an ad sales guy from a, from a publisher. And, and oh, you know, so he was trying to protect the myth that exists. Native ads are ads. <laughs> They're right. not content marketing. Right. When, you know, if I pay for Forbes to run an article of mine, that's a paid placement, just like an ad would be. Right. Um, Forbes sees that traffic. Forbes can can monetize that traffic. Forbes Forbes can convert that traffic, and Forbes can can. Um, and in fact, um, interesting example. I wrote uh, no less than a hundred articles for Forbes when I worked at SAP. Okay. Um, when I left the company, because that was a paid native advertising platform for SAP. Um, when I left SAP, they changed the name of the author from Michael Brenner to guest author. Which, um, you know, which is their, it's their right. They're right. um, You know, but, but again, my point is when you, when you pay for placement on a publisher platform, you don't own that traffic. You can't convert that traffic. You can't monetize that traffic. So content is not content marketing. Listening. So native advertising, so maybe just describe, define what this is for people. Yeah. Yeah. Native advertising is when you pay to, in, in most cases, uh, it, when we talk about native advertising, we're talking about paying to place an article as opposed to an ad, you know, a traditional uh, ad in the form of a banner 
or a pop-up. Um, so if you go to Forbes right now, you, you know, and, and I think they're still doing it, you're, you're probably going to see some weird pop-up that hits you as soon as you land on their site. And I'm not picking on Forbes. Many publishers are, you know, struggling sure. for, for revenue. And so they do these things. That's an ad. That's a banner. Um, when you land on an article, a lot of times they do an autoplay video, um, ad, which is also an ad. That's a paid placement. It's also very disruptive and pretty annoying. Uh, but you might be reading an article that was paid to be placed there. Right. Um, by an advertiser. That is a native ad. So it's when you take, some people use the term inline, um, and by inline they mean in the stream of what typically a publisher right. publishes. Um, there are FTC guidelines that's supposed to be very clearly stated that it was a paid placement. Um, smart, uh, uh, smart advertisers are using those opportunities to present uh, expertise and thought leadership and education not to promote their brand. Um, but you know, they're paying for it so they can do really whatever they want. That's native advertising, um, you know, paying to, uh, insert a piece of content into the, the normal stream of a publisher's published content. I can see how that line gets blurry. You've got your, you created content, you created this article and now you're paying for it to show up on, Hey, I'm a Forbes published article, uh, um, author. Well, uh, sort of, but it's a paid placement. So it's almost like you paid for a full page ad in that magazine mm -hmm. didn't actually, get into the magazine. So I can right. see how that gets blurry, but to your point, it's not content marketing. And the reason is because you can't monetize that or you can't at least track the ROI from it. The, the simple rule is if you don't own it, it's not content marketing. Content marketing is, is what some people in the agency world refer to okay. as owned media. Yes. When I publish something on my website that I own, that's content marketing. Um, oh. When I publish something on Forbes, that's not content marketing. That's paid placement. That's a native ad. Paid placement. When I when I tweet something out on Twitter, that it's not content marketing. I don't own the tweet. Twitter does. Yeah, neither of those are owned. That's right. Smashed, mm -hmm. decimated. I hope hope everyone's paying attention. That that's interesting because that you can see how the lines can just really be blurry there between the two. Absolutely. Social and native advertising. And then again, those, those in-placement ads you mentioned earlier are the worst. <laughs> just, just when you thought you were in the middle of your video, that, that advertiser, to tell you what, not only will I interrupt you, but I will force you in the middle of this thing you really want to watch to watch my really crappily produced you know, YouTube ad or whatever it might be. I, I've, I, ha I may have referred to those as the most evil creation in the history of mankind, <laughs> but that's nice. a subjective opinion. <laughs> nice. You hear that evildoers out there? That's right. <laughs> Stop. Don't do it. No, no. <laughs> Don't do bad, it. Bad, bad, bad. Now, I've got a question for you. Um, mm -hmm. you know, this might be, end up being a myth. Uh, a lot of people, when they're creating content, we will talk about the buyer's journey. You want to map things out from start to finish. I've heard a lot of people get confused at where the buyer's journey actually starts. I think you actually talked about this a couple times and even in, in some blog posts about where the buyer's journey actually starts. Yes. And, and so I'll, I'll give two points of view. Sure. Most product marketers, you know, folks that are really responsible for marketing a product inside an organization, yep. they, you know, the myth that I like to bust with them is the buyer journey doesn't start with a search for your product. And I'm, you know, I'm That's sorry, to, I'm sorry to break it to you, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and if it's like a brand a marketer search, like I'm looking specifically for your product. That's not, that's not the beginning. That's really yeah. the end. That's the end of the yeah. buyer's journey. And, and yeah, you know, there's stretch. even been research like Salesforce, I think did, did a study and found that that's the last 10% of a buyer's journey. Um, wow. And so, you know, if you do the math and I've, I've used this many times. So for, if you do that math, reverse it for every one person searching for your product, 
there are 10 people that are just starting out in their journey. There we go. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, think about the content you create, how much content do you create for that last step versus the first step when you know there are 10 times more people in the early stages. Um, it's an upside down pyramid for most brands. They create, you know, 90% of their content happens in that last, you know, for that last 10% of the journey when instead they should be spending 90% of their effort on the early stages um, right. to really to map to the buyer's journey. Um, so the other side of the, the spectrum, you've got Google zero moment of truth, which um, is some great research that, um, that they did to try to identify what, what are the triggers that, that sort of push people to go on a buyer's journey. Um, and so, yeah, they did some interesting research. So, you know, for example, um, they found that it, that a, a buyer will consume on average about 20 pieces of content huh. before they uh, make a purchase decision in the B2B space. Um, it's about 11 pieces of content in the consumer space, which is still a lot more, you know, most people think, you know, that, that anything in the consumer world is pretty, um, you know, sort of, you know, it, it just kind of happens. It, you know, right. They're inspired and they can just kind of do it. Um, but no, it, it happens, you know, with quite a bit more consideration than people realize. So, so, you know, think to, you know, think, think about something like 11 to 20 pieces of content for every buyer along the buyer journey. And that, you know, can get pretty complicated yeah. if you've got, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, 12 product lines, um, five different personas or audience segments that you're trying to reach, sure. you know, 94 different countries, <laughs> you know, you yeah. can, the math gets pretty big languages, the geos. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, that's the sort of the other end of the spectrum. Um, as far as, you know, the buyer journey doesn't start with a search for your product. It actually starts pretty early. Um, the other thing I will say is it, in the digital world we live in, this is a knowable thing. Like we mm. can use tools and I, there are tools that I love, like, um, ubersuggest.io, um, huh. buzzsumo, B-U-Z-Z-S-U-M-O.com, answer the public. Um, these are all tools. Some of them, two of those are free where you can type in the keyword. Let's say, you know, let's say you're, um, you are the manufacturer of ball bearings. Well, you can put ball bearings into any one of those tools and it'll tell you all the questions that people ask at each stage of the buyer journey. Really? It's pretty cool. You can use Google trends to see how many people ask those questions. Um, or, uh, you know, or you could just go to Google and, and one of the easiest tips I have for people is just go to Google and type the keyword that represents the category of your product in and Google autofill will tell you, or you can go to the bottom yeah, of the, the page the and see search suggestions at the top Search yeah. suggestions tell you, you know, in the digital world, the questions your buyers are asking are a knowable, measurable kind of thing. And then you can use those, you know, that math, that those analytics to define, you know, really whether you're creating that content. Okay. So I'll, I'll take that up a notch then. So content marketing, what are people asking? What are people asking? Yeah. Surprisingly, more people are asking, what is content marketing? <laughs> I believe it, right? Before you get into the nitty gritty, what is this thing even that I've been tasked with doing or that I think what I'm doing? What is it? Yeah. yeah. What is content marketing? What is, what is digital marketing? What is email marketing? What is marketing automation? What is I mean, it? the large majority of searches that are happening on the web are, are, you know, people asking those simple questions. And, you know, you talk to product people, a lot of times they'll say, Oh, our buyers are educated. They already know, you know, what, you know, an MRI machine is. If you, you know, if you're an MRI manufacturer, well, you know what, guess what? There are some 28 year olds who are just getting into medical True. purchasing and they don't know what an MRI machine really is. And so, you know, people just overestimate the intelligence and it's not, I'm not saying that people are dumb. People right. overestimate the level of education that their buyers have. And they, they forget to answer the basic questions. Um, the other thing too, I do this with my clients in workshops, is the buyer journey is a relatively predictable series of questions. It starts with the what, 
It, mm. it then follows into why. So what is content marketing? Why is content marketing important? Or why should I be considering content marketing? Right. Then people get into the really deep sort of end of the pool. How do I do it? How do I, you know, how do I, how do I effectively execute a content marketing strategy or program? Then they start looking at, okay, well, who can help me? You know, um, how much would it cost? Uh, when should I start? Um, but you know, every buyer journey, no matter what your category is, is relatively predictable. What, why, how, who, when, and where. Where? You know, it's something. It's something that simple. You know, we can overcomplicate that. And to your it's point, easy, those twenty man. pieces of content. It's easy. <laughs> you, can, you can address that in twenty pieces of content for sure. Exactly. Exactly. I think sometimes people go off the to your point, the deep end with content. I was once working with a group who was sharing with me that they had a, an attorney in New York City write this really fancy piece of content. And uh, apparently he was $1,000 an hour, which makes me think I'm in the wrong job for sure uh, for content writing. Uh, but apparently it was like a 27 pa uh, page paper. So I'm just wondering what his word per minute is because like this sounds great. But uh, when, when it we came down to, okay, great. You have this content I asked them, what question did this answer for your, for your buyer? Or what, hopefully, questions if it's that long and you mm -hmm. spent that much money. And they had no idea. They, that's not how they created it. More yeah. of a brag piece for themselves or, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah I, I love that mapping the journey. And these questions are predictable. It doesn't Absolutely. matter the industry or the, the product or the field, medical, manufacturing, financial services, all that. Mm -hmm. And it, would that be the answer to what is it for you? If I were to say, what is content marketing? Yeah, I mean, my, my definition, you can find, you know, sort of long detailed definitions, but it's, sure. um, it's consistently creating content um, on a platform that you own that basically answers the questions that your buyers are asking. I mean, to me, that's content marketing. Yeah, um, and, and, that. and those platforms, and this is maybe another myth, uh, you know, not to move backwards, but no, let's do um, it. those platforms have real value that you can measure. And, and um, in some cases, I even say it's a financial asset that you can, you can measure and, 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 and report on to your right. CFO. And this is CFO kind of, a, kind of a conversation, right? So, hey, guess what? If I deliver traffic on a platform that we own, um, that's an annuity. It's an annuity that not just delivers revenue or de delivers value that I can measure, but it actually accelerates. It compounds over time, just like True. You know, an investment account. And the reason that happens, and, and it happens even if you stop investing. So if you think about it, right, if you do, if you create an investment account where you regularly invest in a, the stock market, sure. the, the reason that the value of that accelerates or compounds is because the first you know, if, if you're in the U.S., if the first dollar you spend or invest, it continuously delivers returns over time. So that, you know, by the time you're at 12 weeks, even if you stop investing, that first dollar continues to see, you know, sort of sure. value on top of the value on top of the value. That's how it works. Yeah. It's true for content marketing as well. If I write, if I answer what is content marketing um, two years ago, uh, today, I'm still generating traffic from that, yes. even if I stop investing in that answer. So that's why content marketing platforms have real value that grow over time. And this is a conversation that marketers should have with, with you know, CEOs. That's an awesome comparison. And if people don't know, I mean, this you need a different podcast if you're not aware of the importance of compounding. But obviously, you put the money in the the investment account, the bank, whatever. And as long as it's not zero, 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 one percent interest <laughs> lately, but when there's interest, you leave it in there and the, the, the dividends or the money that you make, you just leave, let it ride, you know, you just keep it in there. And 
and the charts you see of people, hey, you know, Tom put in a hundred bucks a month and he didn't even think about it, left it alone. And now, you know, years later, at the end of his life, he's got over a million. He never put a million in there because right. of the company. That's an interesting argument to make then is that content, it doesn't go away, especially if you're writing pieces that answer these I'm mean, evergreen, these questions that aren't changing. It's, it's still the what, where, when, why, how, that kind of question. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be that question. People are right. that question. So right. unless the industry's changed or different or you're gone, you're still going to have, I'm sure you still get the hits on those, those blog posts you've written, you know, years ago. So, you know, sort of interesting, you know, I'll make a long story short, but um, I actually wrote an article uh, on Forbes for SAP uh, after a conversation with my boss, we had an argument about, now, did you write it or was it a guest, guest uh, author now? So <laughs> I wrote it, but, 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 but let, well, let me, so let me tell you, so here's what happened. So I, I had an argument with my boss and I call this the unique point of view trap. Um, mm -hmm. and it kind of goes to what we're talking about. I, I was arguing that all we need to do is answer our customers questions in the best possible way that we can. Sure. And that what makes us unique is that, is that we will uniquely answer all of their questions. We will, we will provide unique level of value by answering and, and sharing our expertise to the biggest challenges and questions that our customers have. He was trying to argue that we needed to have a unique point of view, that we, couldn't just an, we shouldn't just answer the question. We had to make sure that our answer was absolutely unique in the market. Hmm. which I told him was irrelevant, that nobody cares. Nobody looks at a good answer to a great question and says, hmm, yeah, but this is a great answer, but it's not really unique from somebody else that can answer it. Nobody cares. Right. And so we had this argument. I, I went online and I, I, I sort of banged out this ranty kind of what is thought leadership and why you should use it. Um, and and sure enough, you know, Forbes, after I left SAP, uh, you know, turned that off. Um, I actually republished that article on my own website. Mm -hmm. Right now, I think I, I I think I actually rank number one for the term for the question, "What is thought leadership?" Really? Which is kind of which is kind of cool because I was you know sort of a rant after a conversation disagreement with my boss. You know, I put it into a native <laughs> ad platform that then sure. basically you know that native ad platform essentially decided to kind of shut me off or take take credit away from me. Yeah. I republished it on my site. Now I rank number one. So it's kind of like a nice little, eh, yeah. like, you know, take that. take that, take <laughs> that. But it's wow. a great, it's, it actually proves my point that yeah. a good answer to a, to an important question, um, it, you know, if you answer it as best you can, can really serve to deliver, you know, unique value to your audience and measurable value back, you know, to your brand. You know, so much more than a bad answer. I think uh, more so than unique, it's, I downloaded a white paper the other day. It was on marketing automation and AI and it was the worst white paper ever. It was beautiful, but it answered nothing. It was fluff. It was, I was so mad and I just deleted it. I didn't want to talk to the sales rep. Uh, but to your point, just answering our questions, that that's, that's good enough. And, and I'm not going to look, look for someone else's answer and compiling through answers. I, I don't know if I want to say buyers are lazy, but if I find a good answer, it's almost if it was simple and I could understand it, that was more important than whether it's unique because I probably won't go anywhere else. If you answered my question, what am I going to go fact check and compare? I mean, some people might, but not, not me. I'm, I'm like, oh, great. I got it answered. I'm good. Now I'm going to get the next piece of question you know, right. answered. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a good friend um, who's really uh, awesome at the, the whole SEO sort of strategy. Sure. And his answer to, you know, what is quality is just being the best answer on the internet. And, nice. and, and, you know, it's kind of an answer that he gives to how do you rank for a search keyword? And, and his, his answer is pretty simple. You just have to be the best piece of content that answers that question. And, and that's the best way to show up first. And, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no black magic to it anymore. 
you know, it's right. pretty much straight up answering a question in the best way that you can. And if you're the best answer, you know, you're going to rank number one and you're going to generate a lot of ton of traffic. Right. It's, to your point, it's not the black magic. It's not the ninja SEO. Let me put some white text on a white background and, mm-hmm. and try to trick Google. It's, yeah. it, it's just write the answer, write a great answer, answer the question. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's it, it. You know, what's interesting. You're the, the talk about compounding and, and comparing it to investing, it, it really starts to take me in the direction uh, that I love to go, which is ROI. Mm-hmm. How do you justify something that some people might perceive? I mean, marketing can be perceived as fuzzy anyways, but then take it up a notch with the idea of writing. We're going to write things. We're going to create content, and that's, and that's going to have an ROI we can measure. I think a lot of people, you know, especially at the, the high levels, you're just calling BS or they're like, okay, show me, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you wrote the book on it. What's your take? How, how do we approach this? How do we get the ROI of content marketing? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways that I like to approach the conversation. And the reason I wrote the book was I got the question so many times and often it came from like a really skeptical CMO who kind of, like, <laughs> you know, cross their arms and sit back and like, what's the ROI of this thing, content right. marketing, right? right. And, and my favorite response to that, um, to this day continues to be, well, what's the ROI of marketing for you today? And, and you know, 90% of the time, <laughs> the CMO doesn't know. Right. And it doesn't even have a clue. It's like, mm, you know, what, well, you know, I, I got people that, you know, usually they're, they kind of, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's fun actually for me to kind of watch that yeah. conversation unfold. The bottom line is, hey, we, I know that marketers all struggle. We all struggle with, with right. marketing ROI. And, and, and so the first thing I want to tell you and make you feel better, and I'm talking to the CMO now, is yeah. hey, content marketing delivers measurable ROI, maybe un, unlike and, and maybe better than any other approach that you might take to, to, to marketing. And, 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 and marketing um, automation is absolutely embedded that, in that. It's a core component of it. In fact, the studies show that email marketing has the highest return on investment of any marketing approach. Sure. Um, I think it's 43x is the, is the, is the number from, um, uh, from one of the email vendors. Um, and, and the reason that you're able to generate email subscribers or build your email database is when your content is good. So there, right. you know, email marketing, content marketing, marketing automation, you know, completely joined at the hip on this. Um, so, so that's the first thing. One is, do you know the ROI of your marketing overall? Because if you, even if you do, and, and this is my next, you know, sort of commitment is I will show you that we can double, triple or quadruple it um, within 18 months. That's, that's sort of my promise in, in doing content marketing. And so now, okay, well, how, well great. How are you going to do it? That's a great claim. If you, you know, and, 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 <laughs> I, and, and I, you know, I've got, I've got charts that show it. I, you know, I, I don't have a client that wasn't able to show it, that stuck with it for 18 months. Um, but, you know, so that's my claim and I've got proof and, you know, all that good, you know, I've got data to back right. up. Yeah. But, you know, but so then the question is, well, how? Right. And, and, you know, it kind of comes back to what your, what your objective is. So whether your objective is, is, you know, what I, I usually break it into reach engagement, conversion or retention. Um, any marketer could, you know, pretty much line up anything that they would ever do into one of those four objectives. Nice. Um, with reach, you know, or some people might call that awareness. Um, you're trying to reach new people and, and introduce yourself. Right. With engagement, you might already have a core base of users, like customers, or an audience of folks that already know who you are, but you're trying to deepen your relationship with them. Right. That's engagement. With um, conversion, that's kind of classic 
B2B marketing, you know, I want to generate leads, leads for sales, leads that sales can convert right. to, to revenue. Um, and then retention is kind of a forgotten stepchild of marketing mm-hmm. objectives. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, you know, invest a small amount and get the highest ROI by just, you know, sort of nurturing your existing customers. Existing customers, um, yeah. But mar- content marketing can hit and, and, and show measurable ROI on any one of those four objectives. So um, I'll give you one quick example sure. across each one of those. So in reach or awareness, you could go spend money, you know, stick your logo on the side of a, of a, of a billboard or a building. Yep. Um, you know, good luck measuring the ROI of that. <laughs> yeah. oh, um, you know, right. So true. But if you invest in content marketing, guess what? I can deliver traffic. It's kind of back to that annuity. I can deliver traffic to your website that when it converts, we can use to measure the ROI mm-hmm. or in an, in a sort of a, a, an exchange kind of an approach. Um, I can deliver traffic for your organization that you don't have to pay for, and right. we can use what you would have paid for it to generate the value. So for right. example, at SAP in our first year, we delivered a half a million page views to the SAP website of keywords that we had never ranked for before keywords. Huh. So traffic we would have never seen, right? If we paid for that traffic with paid search, it would have been $2 a click, $2 a visit yeah. $2, $2 times 500,000 visits is a million dollars in value. Yeah. Now I never went to the CEO with that number because it's a little <laughs> bit mushy, right? It's like, Hey, I generated yeah. traffic and I use some funny math to say it's worth a million dollars. I never went to the CEO with that argument, but I did go to the CMO with that. And, and, you know, I said, Hey, you know, I, I'm not saying I saved you a million dollars because you could say maybe you weren't going to invest in that anyway, but right. this traffic has real, real value. Give me the next six months. You know, this is at the end of the year. Give me the next six months to really show you the conversions. So that's, that's reach. Yeah. Engagement. People love to measure social shares or time on site or bounce rate or repeat visitors. Sure. None of those have any value um, except subscribers do. Subscribers are the best measure of engagement. Mm of your content. And, and I spent a lot of time in the book on subscribers because this gets, you know, into email and marketing automation. Subscribers are great for two reasons. Number one, someone is voting on the value of your content. They're inviting you into their already overcrowded inbox. Right. That's a real sort of vote of confidence in the That's value of your content. On the one hand, right, it, it's a great quality measure of your content. On the other hand, you can quantifiably measure the value of a subscriber very simply by dividing the revenue you achieve from email marketing divided by the number of people in your email database. So if, if, you know, at SAP, it was 25 bucks for every email subscriber I delivered to SAP. I knew that they were going to convert to $25 in revenue on average in in their lifetime. So, so that's another measure of value. Conversions is simple math. It's, you know, uh, earlier, especially, Especially yeah. if you can uh, get those people for free, to your point, or for a dollar or two dollars, you know they're worth twenty five. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we're also, we're also, I love that we're, invi- you know, we're inviting them, though they're inviting us to be a part of their already busy inbox. That's yep. really important. I think sometimes people abuse that. Mm-hmm. You know, they take that for granted that they're inviting us. It's like they're inviting us into their home, their office, their attention span. And, uh, so I will get to this later, but we don't want to beat that up and just spam the hell out of it because we got you, you know, we want to really respect that and help them with those questions. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Conversion, sir. Yeah. So conversion is pretty simple math. And, 
um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time at SAP kind of, you know, and other clients, you know, going through what some people call the waterfall or the funnel. Um, but it's, you know, pretty much you, you get people in the top of the funnel. Um, they're not leads. They're sort of uh, registrants or, <laughs> yeah. or inquiries in many names. cases. Yeah. Names, right? Those names often convert at a very low rate to lead. Um, I think the average in B2B marketers uh, is 3%. So if you get a hundred folks to, you know, attend your webinar or download a white paper, you know, 97% of those are not ready to buy right now. Right. 3% might be. And, and, you know, you should have an ability or, or a mechanism to, to identify those 3%. Then there's, you know, pretty straight math that happens from there. And so you've got a lead um, and, and uh, you know, what some people might call a marketing qualified lead, then you right. got to hand it over to sales. So there's, you know, how much, how many, how many of those leads are accepted by sales even mm-hmm. to call on? Um, usually it's something like 50%. How many of those leads then are qualified by sales? Usually it's something like 25%. How many of those then convert to an actual opportunity? Usually it's something like 50%. How many of those convert to an actual sale? Usually it's 25%. So, you know, there are benchmarks at each one of these, you know, stages of the the funnel, Um, but that's pretty straight conversion. So at SAP, if you do the math, when we did the math, we found that it, um, we had a thousand actual marketing qualified leads delivered from the platform. And those leads generated about a quarter of a million dollars worth of revenue. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, average sale price at SAP was $80,000. So it was really only like three or four actual clients that came out of those thousand leads. Well, that's all you need for, if it's that but, expensive. <laughs> but that, but that $250,000 in revenue was more than we were spending in content. So right. the ROI was definitely there in just the first year. Got it. Um, and then retention, retention is actually a fun one. Um, once, you know, you think about content and, and if you think about your customers, in two sort of buckets, the, the engaged and the non-engaged. And so uh, like, for example, I had a client who's in the insurance industry and they created a lot of content for their sort of end users. Um, right. And what they found was that the, the folks that were customers that were engaged in their content spent two times more and stayed three times longer. Mm, and so, yes, exactly. And so you can improve your, your churn, you can increase your upsells, you can sure. increase your retention rate. Um, but you have to do it by looking at, you know, your current customers, looking at them segmented into two audiences, the engaged in your content versus not engaged. And if you have their email addresses for, as a subscriber, you know, it's pretty easy to figure that out. You can kind of cross reference your content subscribers with your customer database and then start to look at the math of the values there and, you know, lifetime value, retention rate, cross sell, upsell, whatever, whatever the metric is, but you know, it's, it's one of my favorite objectives to really talk to clients about because there's so much upside potential. Geez, the fact that they stay longer, I think sometimes people forget, and you mentioned this, you know, the cost of acquiring a new customer is so much higher than simply, you know, selling or keeping an existing customer. So Mm -hmm. you're right, it's it's long forgotten that the retention side can make that much more ROI than all the other ones combined. Of course, you got to keep feeding the new machine, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, keep things in there longer. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting with retention and, and, you know, again, I'm kind of geeking out because I love talking about this stuff, but, um, uh, you know, Bain says a 5% investment in in retention delivers a 95%, you know, increase in return on investment. What's interesting for me is when I looked at the data for a lot of different clients, it's actually early stage buyer content for one audience is the trigger for another audience. So here's, here's what I mean by that. Like for example, at SAP, we had a lot of ERP clients, Sure. Now, SAP also sold CRM and, and human capital management, like HR solutions. And so what we found was that ERP customers that engaged with leadership and management and HR type content 
well, that was interesting. Why would they do that? Oh, guess what? They're interested in HCM solutions that we sell. So early stage content for one audience is often the thing that drives conversion in an existing customer base. So it's, it's interesting because you might think, oh, retention content is where you really have to get deep. No, it's actually the early stage content that you might be creating for another product line. That's <laughs> interesting and surprisingly interesting for your other audiences. So, you know, a lot of people think they need to segment their audiences or have separate platforms. You know, we were shocked that when we, when we saw at SAP that, that this HR leadership management kind of content was the most popular. And the reason it was the most popular is because it was relevant to all of our audiences. So, right. you know, so really resist that urge to overly segment mm. your audiences when it comes to content marketing platforms, because there are surprising insights when it comes to retention. Um, what triggers, a, a, you know, an upsell or a cross-sell is often early stage content from separate audiences or segments. That's so interesting because we, sometimes we, we think, oh, well, they're so advanced. I, I got to I gotta get them some super nerdy, super techie detail, the next level. But maybe not. In this case, it's it's actually easy content, you know, no-brainer content that's for an audience for the other tool. Very mm-hmm. interesting. They already trust you because they work with you on, on, the, on one tool, and now there's another tool they might be interested in. I, that's interesting, especially if you're building, you know, upsell, cross-sell, just use that other content to start with. That's, that's really cool. Yep. Boom. And Bain, 5% invested in retention is a 95% re- return? 95% increase in return in our That's return. right. Crazy. Dang. Yep. Dang, 5%. Jeez. That's all it takes. I got another 5% for you. A 5% decrease in hydration is a th- um, it, uh, increase in hydration is a 30% increase in energy and vice mm-hmm. versa. You lose 5% hydration, you lose 30% energy. Crazy. Interesting. Hence <laughs> having water for podcasts. That's right. That's right. Wow. <laughs> well, this is cool. So you wrote this book. It's so the book, people can get this on Amazon, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, the yeah. content formula. Yeah, I think so I have a copy we'll go right check here. this out. Yeah, we can show everyone. It's got a pig. It's got a piggy bank on it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's it was fun. Board, I mean, right? it was fun. And, and, and you know, if you come to my website, marketinginsidergroup.com, I actually, you can download a PDF version of it for 50% off. I kind of give oh, that nice. away. And, okay. and trust that people won't, you know, well, post it on their website, the PDF. Uh, yeah, just blast uh, the uh, PDF on Napster. <laughs> but uh, no, I just, you know, I really want to share, you know, yeah. share that, those insights. And, and I, it's a really, you know, it's a plain ride read. It's like three hours. It's really 85 pages of content. We've got, you know, sort of pictures and, and calculations in there. So well, where's uh, that at? You said for the... the Yeah, on marketinginsidergroup.com. Okay. Uh, if you come to any of my articles, you'll see on the right-hand side, it's a little offer for 50% off a uh, PDF version of the book that you can get today. So... Um, you know, so invite anyone to, to download that, but it's, it's super practical. Awesome. It's not, you know, it's not high level, um, right. you know, inspirational kind of stuff. It's like, Hey, you want to measure the ROI of content marketing? All right, put your money where your mouth is. Here are 10 formulas and calculations that you can use yeah. today to start measuring the return on investment, not fuzzy math, not vanity metrics, not page views and social shares, the actual value of your content marketing efforts. That's great. All you usually need is just a formula, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get by in physics class in high school as long as they gave you the formula or chemistry. Here's how to go from you know this to that, moles to this. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's your number. Here, here's That's the right. formula. Mm-hmm. All the guesswork is taken out of it because now you have this formula. And of course, it also it came from a source other than just their head, so they need to yep. justify it to someone. They've they've got some examples to it. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I know that book you said that that came from people just asking you the question about ROI over and over again. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned you created a slide deck initially. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, at the time I was working for a content marketing company, a technology vendor, and, um, uh, and I hired somebody on my team um, as a strategist. And, and we were getting this question from, from CMOs and, and senior marketers so often that we said, you know, screw it. We're going we're gonna to create the definitive, you know, p- webinar on how to measure the ROI of content marketing. Like, right. I don't want to hear this question again was kind of our, our motivation. And, um, you know, and so we came up with the structure. And so I kind of came up with that reach, engage, convert, retain structure. Yeah. And, and we talked about the different levers, as I called them, that you could pull. And, you know, you know, we even talked about some of the basics of, well, what is ROI? People throw that word out, but they don't really know that it's a math calculation that's true. Revenue minus investment divided by investment. You have to know what your investment is before you can do the calculation. You need right. to track the revenue before you can do the calculation. So right. what's the ROI of your banner on a billboard? Good luck figuring out the revenue. Um, you probably know the investment or, you know, a lot of times marketers don't even know what they're spending in certain areas. So, so, you know, so we broke the book into, or we broke the webinar into, you know, define the business case for, for doing content marketing. It's to increase ROI, Um, uh, figure out how to secure the budget. And often cases, you know, oftentimes that means taking money away from underperforming or non ROI producing marketing activities. Um, And then we got into the 10 calculations. So we created this webinar, 220 slides. Um, a thousand people showed up and Yo, it, hold on. That's a lot of people to show up at a webinar. You know, yeah, one time well, I got a hundred and I was like, this is amazing. But I, I so I think it was, a, I know we, we were shocked. Like, and we <laughs> even said, I think we said when we started the webinar, like 995 people out of 1100 registrants sort of showed up, Wow, which was like a 90% attendance which rate. Doesn't which happen either. Never happens. And sort of like, <laughs> you know, so we started it like, Hey guys, this is about math. So we're going to spend the next hour on math, just so you know. Is that okay? And sure enough, they, <laughs> they stuck around. And, you know, we went through, we did the webinar. People were great and wow. had a lot of questions and a lot of feedback in the survey form. And 12 or 15 people, I think, in the survey comments said, you should turn this into a book. Oh, and, cool. and so, yeah, so we, you know, it was like, I think it was in the summer. And I think I had like a slow week and I, I banged out 40 pages and you know, handed it over yes. to my co-author and she, you know, sort of, added some meat to the bones and then we went back and forth and yeah. just handed it over to somebody who knew how to kind of self publish on Amazon. Um, and we launched it in November of 2015 and, you know, shot up to the best selling in marketing charts, uh, in the first, uh, within the first four days. Wow. Um, you know, we had all five star reviews until some jerk a couple of weeks ago. Uh, There's always <laughs> he, someone. well, you know, it's, it's not his fault. He had an issue with, um, uh, with his Kindle and he posted a one star review and I replied, I said, Hey, like, dude, that's a technical problem. It's not, the, you know, you don't, don't bet, ding the book for, anyway, I told him like, you know, send me your name or contact details separately and I'll, I'll re- reimburse you. Just change it back to five stars. And sure enough, he didn't. So I got one, one, one star review from these guys. Okay. That jerk. We should yeah, go right. track him down. That's right. That's, that's right. But anyway, so, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's resonated. I've done you yeah. know, my speaking, um, you know, for, for about a year and a half was all about, you know, content marketing ROI and, and, you know, still get asked to speak about it a lot today. And, and yeah, so it's been, it's been a fun process. I would say it's not the book I thought I would ever write, you know, it's sort of a book that escaped. Mathy uh, book. Yeah. It was a book, you know, as an English lit major and, right. you know, math is my weakest subject in, in college. Uh, it, you know, I wouldn't have expected it to do something like well, that. Well, the, the good news is, you know, you would want a math book written by someone whose major wasn't math that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, hopefully they'll, you know, you simplify it for people so that's that, right. 
yeah. people aren't going to take for granted. Oh, you know what sine and cosine is, right? That's how you ROI <laughs> from. Man, please yep. skip that. Yeah, it's it's definitely simple math. No trigonometry or calculus required. Oh man, that is cool. And so you, you so you self publish that, and I think you were saying earlier you recommend that in terms of you know not necessarily a need for a big publisher. You just want to get the content out to people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, again, I, I know a lot of folks that publish through traditional publishers, and sure. you know, I understand some reasons for doing that. You know, and I, I think I mentioned to you the other day, it's not, it's not, it was not an ego thing for us, and right. and um, you know, we weren't looking to be taught in in college classrooms or um, you know anything like that. But um, but yeah, it was the quickest way to get the book out there. You know, traditional publishing can take twenty, you know, up to twelve months. You know, after you actually have the manuscript, sometimes nine to twelve months. And Jeez. you know, we we basically went from from webinar to book in in less than six, and um, you know, from concept to to publish in less than Jeez. six months. And so, um, you know, so I recommend that. I, I, I decided to start working on my next book um, uh, just earlier uh, this month. And cool. hoping to publish that by November as well. So again, super secret topic or any teasers on it? It's an interesting one. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to plug it, but um, yeah, yeah. one of the things that I've found that's really interesting, it's going to sound like a leap, but it's a book about leadership and a book about oh. um, culture. And, and you're like, well, what, what the heck do you know about leadership and culture? And so what I'm finding is that uh, while CMOs often ask the challenging question, where's the ROI? what they actually lack. Cause I answered the, the question. I answered that with the book. You did. Right. And then what I found was that CMOs, you know, oftentimes are still a little skeptical. And so what I found is that what's lacking is a culture of empathy, a culture of, of a true focus on customer experience or customer centricity. Um, and you know, many companies, the culture is, it's a sort of a, I call it the natural business instinct is to promote yourself in the yeah. world that we live in. That's the easiest way to be ignored. Yes. And so, you know, basically it's a book about, about building a culture of empathy is the only way to not just be successful in marketing, but to be successful as a business, to grow your business, to create an environment employees want to come work at, um, and, and retain, uh, you know, talented employees and to deliver growth in your customer base. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a book about marketing, but it's really a book about leadership and culture. Well, it sounds like you're, you're seeing there's a, there's a, problem beneath the problem, right? And in, in a culture of, I'm thinking a culture of accountability, a culture of that discipline and some of the, the other folks were talking, Jim Lenskold and a few others, there's a, you need a culture of discipline to actually do the measurement or to be able to say, okay, this experiment is working or isn't working, or this is how we're going to change it. Not just like the political culture where everything has to be green or I get fired. So I think you're hitting on the fact that, yeah, I can give you all the formulas in the world, but there's this other element to it. If your company doesn't have the ability to be honest about what the numbers are saying so you can improve and iterate on it, then it doesn't, I can give you all the formulas in the world and it doesn't even matter. That's interesting. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, like and a quick funny example, I had a client yeah. a couple weeks ago who um, to try to anonymize them, they invented a whiz bang machine. I'm, I'm just going to make that up. Cool. Um, like a Voltron machine with the card and, it was it was a whiz bang machine. It, whiz bang. it was a laser that she, I, yeah I don't I, I'm, yeah yeah it uh, it turns things that are blue green. Uh, yes, I, don't know. You know, I like it, that. It's magical. But um, they invented it you know years and years ago. And um, when you search what is a whiz bang machine, they don't show up. And and so I was having a conversation with their CMO, Jeez. who's you know he's like we're the authority on whiz bang machines. We invented the whiz bang machine. I was like well that's interesting because Google 
tells me that you're not the authority. Yeah. You don't even answer the question, what is a whiz-bang machine? In fact, your competitors are all, all answer that question. Um, there are, you know, there are anonymous people that, that I've never heard of that answer that question, but you don't answer that question. And that is a sin. That's a crime. And, and you're, so mm. therefore you, I am telling you are not an authority on this topic, even though you invented the thing. So mm. it's a simple commitment to answering the questions that you're, to sharing your expertise, not just talking about what you sell. And, and that's, a real culture change for a lot of folks. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of folks out there. It's a simple questions too. I think we we overestimate the and to your point, the level of questions that people are asking may not be the complicated thing. It's as, as simple as this, or I'm even thinking of my own content. What is marketing automation, or what are, what's the most? It's some of these basics that mm-hmm. people want to just the, to your point the what and yeah. why is it important? Those yeah. type of things. Yeah, you can skip those. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, so, and it just as a great example, you know, the last, I guess I'm in the midst of kind of every, every few months, every six months or nine months or so, I recommit to answering the basic questions. And so I'm in the midst of cool. uh, two weeks ago, I answered, you know, what like is the difference between a content marketing strategy and a plan? Um, last week I did, uh, how do you select a content marketing agency? And I, and I try, you know, in that answer, obviously I'm like, I hope you select me, but I'm really, I'm really trying to be helpful. And, yeah. and I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I sort of slip that in in a subtle way, but, but really try to answer like, Hey, if you're looking for one, here are the things you should ask. And I had a great comment from another competitive content marketing agency who said, Hey, you know, your, your article was great and it really hurt because we don't do a lot of the things that you're talking about here. Right. We're going to rethink our mission. And I was like, you know, I think I accomplished what I was trying to do there. So yeah, we have to recommit, you know, to doing that, but it's a simple thing. You know, my, I guess my one call to action for all of your listeners is yeah. just go out there and answer five to 10 of the most basic questions that your audience is asking, your customers might be asking, you know, don't overestimate their education level or intelligence and, and just share your expertise. You know, the top five or 10 questions do, you know, publish something that answers those questions once Mm. in, you know, a week or once a month for the next five to 10 months. And, you know, you're going to see traffic, you're going to see value from that exercise. That's so important. And, and how often do you recommit to, you say, going back to the ba- or re-answering the basics? You said every 18 months or so? Or? No, I, I try to go back to the basics every six or nine months. And sometimes, okay. interestingly enough, I republish the things. You know, I, I go back and I find my answer from you know, a year ago. And I'm like, you know what? It, this answer is still pretty relevant. And interestingly, I actually just republish them. So for example, the what is thought leadership and what, when you should, why you should use it. Yeah. I, I was going to, you know, I, I ranked number one, I think I said for that term. Yeah. And I thought, you know, what's, I, I've answered like what's thought leadership and why you should use it. What's thought leadership and when you should use it. What's thought leadership and, and how you should use it. And I went back and I was going to, maybe I should answer the what is question again. And I found that that original article still, I think, resonated the best for me. Right. I just republished it. So it, it looks like a new article on my site from a couple of weeks ago. It's really three years old from when I worked at SAP and I had an argument right with my article. boss. Yeah. And it, you know, it started on Forbes. So, so anyway, you know, sometimes it just means republishing. And the keep the same there. URL so Google's happy. That's right. That's right. That's cool. You know, I circled that a million times, just going, you know, answering the five to 10 basic questions. That's and it. I... You know, if I, if I had a whole group of people and I had them raise their hands or if you'd done this at, you know, any of your presentations, I, I bet you there wouldn't be that many people that have actually done something as simple as that, that they probably are overthinking it, you know? Yep. And, and it's a great, you know, just a soul searching question. Like I, like I said, with the whiz bang manufacturer, you know, it, it's, I just started, you know, you invented this thing and, and you don't answer what it is anywhere on your website. Did they take your advice or? Yeah. 
Yeah. Fixing it. Okay. So they're on their yeah. way to We're working on it. actually being the expert in their own invention, Exactly. Uh, which is so huge. So exactly. this is cool. I let you, you've been in Forbes and we chatted the con you, all these different places, all these different, this content. I think you're going to speak at the marketing nation summit coming up. Marketo's marketing nation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yep. Me and my good friend, Lindsay Vaughn, you know, um, she's not really a good friend, but you know, she's, <laughs> they just announced her as the keynote. I can't wait to, um, to get on the stage. And, I'm, and I am going to talk a little bit about culture there. And, and their, nice. their theme is the fearless marketer. Yeah, and, so, you know, and so it really gets to this, I think, concept or idea of, of, you know, of, of taking the leap and, and being courageous and, and pushing back on the natural instinct of your organization to overly sell, over, you know, over promote right. and interrupt your audience. And just, you know, actually care, you know, give a crap about them. Yes. You know? Yes. Now, have you been able to, to blend? I mean, that's probably part built into the culture of your, your marketing insight, insider group, right? Just that, mm-hmm. that culture of empathy and caring. I mean, I give up, I give up and give away so much content and, you know, every once yeah. in a while somebody reaches out, I'm like, Oh, you, you don't optimize your website for conversion. I'm like, I, I, you know, I know, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't have, um, at least currently, I don't have any advertising on the site. And, you know, I I mean, if Google showed up and said, hey, we want to give you a million dollars, I'd probably take it. But, but the point is, yeah, I I try to almost over index on, on just sharing, you know, and, and, you know, my mission is just to share my expertise and the life lessons that I've learned as a, you know, as a 25 year marketer. Um, And I hope that I generate some business from it. It's just kind of, you know, secondary. For sure. And, you know, one of the core values at, at, at Cheshire, our own company, is, um, is we care, you know, and it, it's, it's funny. We just, we put that in there because we realized there's a lot of, you know, apathy out there. Mm-hmm. When did we stop caring about clients actually wanting to be successful you know, or, or each other or our families or communities? Just, oh, I don't care. I'm just, you know, go through the motions, grind the thing, or even the, even the team themselves. Let's just grind through people and, and spit out some work for clients we don't care about. I mean, that's a horror. Life's too short to, to live in a machine like that, you know? That's right. That's right. So wh- where did you come from? I, you've SAP. How did you get all this? Mm, you know? Well, let's see. I mean, I mean, my mom and my dad, <laughs> they met. Well, no, you don't want to go. So yeah, no, I, I, um, I started my career actually in sales. I sort of I graduated and, and landed a job, you know, no idea what I wanted to do with my life except sure. to get into business and make some money to pay off student loans. And right. um, I got a job with the Nielsen company. It was uh, kind of an account rep. It was basically a sales job. And sure. um you know, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here and, and I'm just going to work hard and, and hopefully succeed. And so I worked really hard at trying to be good at sales and, um, and I was terrible. I mean, it was six months in, I had this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I realized like, well, you know what, I, but I've got these accounts that have real problems and why don't I just commit to helping them, you know? And maybe that means I, I sell something, but, and, and it, like within the next six months, I was actually the number two salesperson in the country, Interesting. In, in the whole company. And, um, and I have lifelong friends from those initial set of customers. And, no kidding. And it was just because I just sat back and just, you know, hey, I'm going to show up at their office, not with a bag of, you know, of items to sell, but, yeah, but you know, with, with a desire to help them. And, and so it kind of guided the rest of my career. I, I actually followed my frustration. Talk about rants. Yeah. You know, I was sort of frustrated with the support I was getting from marketing. And um, yeah. so after five years in sales, I kind of switched over to marketing and did product marketing and corporate marketing for Nielsen. And, um, and I just loved it. And, you know, to me, it was like, hey, I can help people. I can help my customers at the company at scale as opposed to one-on-one in a sales relationship. And, and you know, kind of got into marketing, um, never looked back after that. I was uh, a CMO for a couple startups after that. So yeah. I learned, I was tell people, I learned how to do marketing without a budget. That's important. 
yeah, that's an yeah. important skill to learn. Um, yeah, then went to SAP, was their first head of digital, first head of content marketing, uh, went and became uh, a, built a strategy practice for a content marketing technology company, and then went off on my own two years ago and haven't looked back. You know, that that background of having a little bit of sales in there, I, I was sort of the opposite, did a lot of other goofy things, and then marketing and then some sales but i find that it's those crossovers where you really gain a lot of information you know i recommend it to people if you're in marketing do a little sales even on the side if you're in sales do a little marketing or or to your point go that extra step to try to actually help people out learn a little bit more about the other side because oftentimes you get that marketing versus sales thing which is just crazy Mm -hmm. you know to your point bad culture someone's not aligned process is not aligned uh but it's so helpful to have seen or been responsible for what the other group is doing to understand what's happening um but to your point and I can see how you, even early on, you were reflecting back of, let me just help out the customer. I just, I just want you to, and people, and to your point, people tone, you know, tune people out if they're self-serving, they're tweeting all about themselves, or they're, they're trying to sell you their thing. You're like mute, you know, silence. I don't see you anymore. But people can sense when you're just there to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not really, am I really here to sell? Even we were talk, talking earlier before the show, you know, I'm asking you about the book and the website and you're like, I'm not really here to sell anything. And I was like, Awesome. Let me do it for you. So everyone listening, go get the freaking book. Um, this is, Please. go to the website too. You can get it half off uh, like he was describing. We'll put the, the URLs in, in there too. So, um, you know, one other thing I just wanted to, to chat about with you, we were chatting early on and, and we don't need to talk about you being from Philly and the Super Bowl and all that. Um, I'm still Sorry. I'm still in uh, <laughs> counseling for that. Um, but you've got, you've got a couple trophies. <laughs> it was our turn. Come on. Oh, but I, I went to this one. So oh, I was there, yeah. uh, freezing my butt off in Min- yeah. Minneapolis. Uh, yes. that's okay. I'll be the next one. So maybe we'll see you there. <laughs> um, but we were chatting earlier, and you know we're, we're kind of prepping and in uh, logistics and that kind of thing. And then we started chatting about passions. And you're a really busy guy, and so when you're not doing marketing, it was your family. And when we started chatting family, I don't know if you could tell, but we were doing a Zoom and your eyes just lit up and, uh, and it, it wasn't just an average call, you know, and I could tell there was something special. So, I mean, it, you're not just the Uber driver for them though. It sounds like it's a really important part of you know, who you are. Yeah. I mean, it, it breaks my heart every time I travel. Um, it's funny. I was, really? I've got a, um, I've got a you travel trip. a lot, right? I do. I, I think yeah. I did, I did 40 segments, you know, so 80, 80 flights last year, Dang. um, you know, 40 trips. So it was, it's a lot and, and it breaks my heart every time. And I've got a, like a, a potential, uh, speaking engagement in Finland and the cheapest way to get there is to fly through Iceland you know, to go to Reykjavik, which I've always wanted to go to. And I'm like, yes. oh, that, that could, you know, I could spend a week, maybe, you know, two days in, in Iceland, two days in Finland. I'm like, nah, I'm just going to get a direct yeah. flight to Finland and a direct yeah. flight home. Um, but yeah, no, I got four kids and, and um, you know, every one of them is a blessing. They're so different and so, so awesome. And, you know, it's, 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 that's what life is all about, man. It's just, you know, they, they, uh, uh, you know, kids are just such a, such a gift and I'm thankful every day. Totally. And, and so I've got two, but they're like just pre sports age. And you were saying <laughs> yours are all, you're in that mode where you're just doing a million things all at once. And it's, yeah, it's, I, so my son, he, so I've got four and two, okay, and two, yep. two girls and two boys and my son's 10. And, and just to give you an example on Sundays, he does, he has two basketball games. Um, he usually has two soccer games cause they're on a league that Jeez. plays like at four at five. And then he's got a baseball 
The baseball <laughs> season is just about to start, but over the winter he was doing workouts. So, so we were doing two basketball games in the morning, a workout at noon, and then two soccer games in the afternoon. Um, that's just him on Sunday. Man. <laughs> it's one, one of the four. So one it's, of four. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. And, and man, parents are crazy when it comes to sports. Like I'm just, you know, grateful that kids out there are doing stuff he loves. And Have fun. Some parents yeah. are like watching the Super Bowl or the Olympics with every sporting event. I'm like, you know, my six-year-old plays basketball where they don't even dribble barely. And it's like, right. you know, dad, you need to calm yourself. This is not, Double like, dribble. Double they're, not dribble. Even, they're not even keeping <laughs> yeah. score, man. Like just, right. you know, it's let the kids have fun. So uh, yeah, some parents are crazy, but the kids are having a good time. That's cool. Have you, have you done any coaching for them? It's probably, you don't have the chance to do that or? No. So interestingly, my wife, uh, you know, she's got a, a high powered job as well. She's uh, she's an HR actually at SAP and, and does oh, employer wow. branding. And Did you meet but, there? Or? No, no. Everybody always asks that. We actually yeah, went there funny. 10 years and well, six years into our marriage and she's still there and I left, you know, oh, wow. us about five, six years ago, but um, she stayed and it's a great company and, and sure. I really owe a lot to, to the company. Um, but she's, believe it or not, she's the coach in our relationship and I'm the cheerleader. So nice. <laughs> so, you know, I, and a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of the dads that, are, you know, the, my kids' friends are coaches, uh, but no, it's, I'm, I'm there to be supportive and positive and she's the one that kind of nails them on, you know, <laughs> skills and practice and, and, you know, focus and all that kind of stuff. But she's, she's, she's a, she's an amazing lady and, uh, you know, it, she has a lot of fun doing the coaching thing. That's cool. I, I recently, um, try doing some soccer coaching for my daughter, uh, but like super early league. And you're right. Some people are like all about it. Some people not so much. And I was, you know what? I'm all in. I'll be the assistant coach, not the main coach. Yeah. So if I can't make it, okay, but I'll be assistant coach. And one of the things I, I learned from, I don't know, just a friend of the family, it was about playing pirate soccer where your kids are dribbling around and, and then you call out something like, Fire, fire the cannons and they all shoot their soccer balls in one direction or pirate attack and you go try to steal their ball and just these little metaphors and you have these yeah. tiny little kids just doing their thing and all of a sudden you're like pirate attack and they all start <laughs> screaming and they all start running away from you um and it was a blast yeah. you know and, and it's cool. great to get out of the office not have the phone on you and just do that you know it kind of recharges the batteries yeah absolutely but I will say my wife is similar in that uh, we go to a hockey game. She's, she knows what's going on. She's from Vermont. So we go to a hockey game and somebody on the Bruins messes up. She's calling them out on it from <laughs> nine rows up. And, right, uh, right. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> great. Well, awesome. You know, this has been great just to, you know, chat and, and get some real nuggets on content, content marketing, uh, really keeping it simple, back to the basics. Uh, what are some of the links, some of the ways, I know we mentioned a few already, where people can get in touch with you, also you know, the Marketing Insider Group, where they can get that book. What are some mm -hmm. of the, the best ways to do that? Yeah, so uh, my, you know, my website is marketinginsidergroup.com. Uh, so feel free to come check it out. You'll see you know, hopefully some valuable content if you have some of these kind of content marketing questions. Uh, you, you'll totally. find some answers for sure on there. Um, uh, on Twitter at Brenner Michael. So, uh, you know, big fan of, of, of using the Twitter platform, um, to share, you know, mostly other people's content. I have a kind of a nine one one rule there. Um, I try to share nine pieces of other people's content for every one of my own. Really? Life. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, LinkedIn, I mean, you know, feel free to connect to me on LinkedIn. I'm finding my LinkedIn emails becoming a new inbox for me, uh, really? engaging with folks. So yeah, you know, happy to connect with anybody on those platforms. And, and if anyone has any questions directly for me, feel free to reach out. 
cool. And if you're doing LinkedIn, don't be rude. Say how you, where you heard about them and what your question is. And yeah. not just one of those anonymous, you know, linked requests. Hey, uh, right. link. No, no. Hey, I heard you on the podcast. Yeah. You know, uh, I had a question about this. My company desperately needs some help, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, put a little note in there. So, so he knows where you're, you're coming from. But this yeah. is great. This is really cool. Um, any parting shots for folks as they uh, go back to their day? No, just, you know, just seek to answer your customers' questions or, yeah. or commit to putting your customers first or asking, you know, do we really need to create this piece of promotional content? Um, answer your customers' biggest questions and challenges and concerns, and, and you're well on your way, I think, to success and growth in marketing. Yeah, I love that. Keeping it simple. Oh, this is great. Well, thank you again. And thank to everyone listening. Yeah. Uh, that's it. And, you know, for the folks listening, if you learned anything today, share this with someone that that nine one rule here, you know, get that content out there to someone else who can learn from this or someone who's going the wrong direction in content marketing, get them the link to this. We also have YouTube too. If you, if you are a more visual person, we're both, mm-hmm. you know, great looking fellas here on YouTube. So, you know, if you prefer go there, (laughs) Uh, but otherwise, you know, uh, share this with people and uh, we'll see y'all next time.